We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast, coming at you Monday morning. It's November 7th, and on today's show, we've got the Wolves weekend to discuss. They played two games this weekend. They lost at home to the Milwaukee Bucks on Friday night, maybe the best team in the league, and then a win at home to the Houston Rockets on Saturday, maybe the worst team in the league. Mixed up somewhere in the middle of all that, uh, hopefully not too far prior to Friday, was uh Rudy Gobert um, having COVID, uh, entering the health and safety protocols that forced him to miss Saturday night's game and presumably the next few games. So that's kind of going to be our theme today, talking about what these next few games can or will look like without Rudy Gobert and how gaining momentum sort of without Gobert and the elements of the game that Gobert doesn't, you know, doesn't play in or doesn't necessarily help in, how that can still be kind of relevant for the Wolves big picture to get into all that it's Monday so I'm joined by Wolves beat writer from the Star Tribune Chris Hine hi Chris how are you hello Dane I'm good I'm good how are we doing today pretty good it's uh it's Monday we both had a lot of Wolves on Friday and Saturday I'm I had a lot of football on Sunday and no Wolves (laughs) which which was a nice mix needed that mental break after two straight days of especially Friday being there till like 1 a.m on Friday was not no bueno no no not great not great the old 9 p.m start and uh now we have 8 15 again tonight but uh let's 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 talk about about what happened before we get there before we get into monday what happened uh this weekend we'll we'll think about tibbs later but i think the real question is on saturday you know how did it look without rudy right what what did it look like Mm -hmm. how was that different did it quote unquote answer not not answer any problems but answer some of the kind of bumps in the road what uh what stood out to you chris you know it it felt like that they could just go back to what they were doing the season ago right. um and you know it i was thinking about this in light of how they played against Milwaukee on Friday too and it was just like they have the muscle memory to play a certain way like they still haven't gotten away from from kind of some of the habits that they did last year, especially on the defensive end of the floor. But I think Saturday you're able to see like, oh, this is how we used to play right. offense 
uh, a season ago. And so that's still very much ingrained in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, you know, a lot of those guys have played together. The only one that got significant minutes on Saturday night that wasn't a part of the rotation, wasn't a part of the team last year was Kyle Anderson pretty much. Um, so, you know, that muscle memory was evident on, on Saturday, I thought. Yeah, I, I did too. And I think it's it's natural for... And I mean, it's not like there's zero part of this, but I think it's natural to for some people to be like, oh, you know, Rudy's not there. There's more spacing. They can do all that. Rudy is a problem, you know. Right. Um, And and I think, you know, if that is one percent true, then the familiarity thing you're talking about is like 80 percent true. Um, This this group. Right. To me, when I watch them play, looks just significantly more comfortable right now. Um, playing in a sort of five out offensive style with, you know, Carl, the center out on the perimeter. And then defensively, they look a, at least a little bit more comfortable kind of scrambling around, which again, to your point is sort of the muscle memory of a year ago. That was their defensive scheme with, you know, with Carl as the center playing more aggressive, trying to scramble back out to the corners. I thought it looked a ton like last year. And to that end, it made some made some sense yeah. that they had a little bit of success against Houston. Um, but also, you know, I'm acknowledging part of it was, you know, Rudy wasn't out there. That that helps, I think, tapping into that muscle memory, even if it doesn't mean, you know, long term that Rudy is is a problem. Finch made it clear after the game that he did he did wanted it clear that Rudy being out had nothing to do it with is. the loss. This was not going to be the takeaway from this game that Rudy that Rudy being out was the reason why they played so well up there, and that was very clear. Yes, uh, in the in the press conference afterwards. Here, here's the clip. Not having Rudy for this game and maybe a couple of others, will that give you information on how to retrofit when Rudy gets back? Do you think? I mean, I'm not sure. You know, I think it you know, certainly uh, it gives us. Um, we, we were familiarity to what we had done before. Um, so I think we can draw upon that. Like, I don't think that, you know, Rudy's absence had zero to do with our performance here in any way, shape or form. I think, um, you know, offensively, we, we were starting to move the ball really well yesterday. Um, you know, we just have to do it multi, you know, multitude of times. And then, um, you know, I think Rudy will be the beneficiary of that ball movement too. Yeah, Chris. So, that was kind of a theme of the weekend. Uh, I think some people push back at the idea that the ball movement looked better. Uh, I think you just need to have sort of the context of it was really, really stagnant in, in the week prior. So kind of any ball movement on Friday and Saturday uh, made a difference. And I think Finch's point there is if and when we play with even slightly more ball movement, that's going to benefit Rudy as well in terms of you know, he's going to find some of those easier drop off dunk sort of things, or he's going to help create further space with his screen setting. I do believe Finch. I I think that answer is what Finch actually believes is that this tapped into familiarity and that Rudy playing and those guys kind of accommodating him more will benefit Rudy as well, too. Again, it's the same question you and I were having, you know, a week ago. How long is that going to take until it does benefit Rudy if he was playing tonight against the Knicks would we would it feel more like Friday against Milwaukee where it was kind of he kind of was part of the sort of the coagulation or would he kind of 
fit into yeah. more of the free flowing thing there. I don't I don't think we know. That's what I, I keep going back to is is how long is the time going to be? It's gonna it's gonna get better, but how long until they, they get there? And and now this juxtaposition of kind of things flowing well with him off, how do those things work together and not work against each other? Okay, one of the things that is, is such a big thing in the, when he's been out there is they are intentionally trying to make him an active part of the offense. It's not like he's just sliding into what Jared Vanderbilt did a year ago where where Vando just kind of got the the things in between. If, if he was open for a dunk, if he was getting offensive rebounds, that's how Vando would get his points. He wasn't a, a really a, a featured, like, let's feed him the ball player on offense. And Rudy they are trying to make let's feed him the ball let's get him active more actively involved in the offense and i think that's a huge adjustment for delo you know we saw coming into the season uh you know the chemistry between gobert and, and russell was going to be huge and they were even talking about it preseason yeah. right i i think that's taking a lot longer to develop um, I think D'Lo is is learning some things about Rudy um, and just how different it is playing with Rudy versus Carl versus Nas and with and with uh, you know Carl Rudy on the floor at the same time. I, I think it's been a, it's been a learning adjustment for for D'Lo especially uh, especially when they run these pick and rolls. I think you see it's it's it, it, it's a very slow moving pick and roll in some ways, but when they're doing it. Zelo, I think, in some ways, is used to maybe quicker actions there. Uh, like Vando was was a quicker roller yeah, when he point. would be setting those those screens. Now, now it's a very methodical, meticulous sort of. Okay, I'm I'm I'm, I'm coming around the screen. Where's Rudy? Where's the defender? Do I take the mid range? Do I try to lob a tree? Do I try to throw the bounce pass? And when do I do all these mm-hmm. things? You know, so I I still think he's very much trying to figure all that out. Yeah, I think, again, maybe just for these next few games, like we can almost put that thing on pause, right? Imagine Finch is just kind of like, right. okay, let's just like put that in one of the cupboards and the Rudy and D'Lo and finding the chemistry in that lineup. You know, we got all season to kind of figure that out. What I'm kind of curious to see, and this is just sort of going to be a theme of these these two games is, what things what things work when Carl is on and Rudy is off? You're gonna get that, you know, 35 minutes a night here until Rudy's mm-hmm. back. And with Delo specifically, I'm I'm interested to see see if it is better and cleaner. Because you're right, we did come into the season thinking, you know, right or wrong, that Delo's best pairing, at least with a big, would be with Rudy. We went, we tapped into the Jared Allen idea. That, you know, he's played with that type of guy before it seems to fit his game. But they are, like you said, on that chemistry. So what is it like with Carl, who he does actually have a good amount of experience with? How can they sort of, you know, maximize that pick and roll between those two guys or that big point guard sort of relationship? And what I'm curious to see is through the first eight games, it was a they were really struggling when. Cat was on, Gobert was off, and D'Lo was on the floor. Net rating in those first eight games in 100-plus possessions, minus 27.7. Now, part of that, as, as we'll talk about, you know, D'Lo's had some shooting struggles. But I, I wonder how indicative that is of the idea that there is 
a lack of chemistry in the in the cat and Delo minutes as well. And I think glass half full, the idea is, you know, Delo's kind of been processing a million different things, right? I'm trying to figure out how to best play with, you know, with Rudy when he when he's out there. We're playing a different concept. I'm kind of thinking, overthinking, maybe, and forgot about the things that just work well with Carl, right? Like it's not like D'Angelo can't find a way or hasn't in the past found a way to be successful in lineups where Carl's at the five. So, I mean, maybe that's such a low bar of minus 27.7, but I would expect in these two, three games that we see significantly more, you know, chemistry and just overall offensive and maybe even defensive, like improvement out of the cat and D'Lo minutes. Yeah. And, and it, it, you can see that on Saturday night, D'Lo had, you know, he was what five for nine, I think total, which was his best shooting night by a mile yeah. in, the, in the last week. And I was watching some of the, you know, some of the makes that he had and he had a couple early on. And um, it seemed like one came off of, I think he hit the first shot of the game, which seemed like a very designed set play, like right off the bat right. to get him, a, to get him a shot. Um, but it was a good possession. Like it was a well-run crisp set that they had and he gets an open shot and, and hits it. And, the next one came within just the flow of the offense. And it, it was just, you know, whether that's a chemistry thing, whether that was making more structure, which which was something that, that we talked about, and I think you asked Finch about the other night, like having some of these more structured play calls in place uh, to get guys looks. Um, you know, he looked he looked a little more at ease. He still says he was in his shoot, still says he's in his shooting slump. He's not out of it. Um, but it looked better on Saturday night than, than it did Friday and Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Land and Lore, the premier men's skincare brand that everyone is talking about. Finally, men are starting to realize that how you look determines how you feel, and how you feel determines your mindset for success. If you've never tried a skincare product made for men, you have no idea how amazing you can look and feel. So if you've been one of the guys using a bar of soap, it's time to upgrade. Land and Lore is made with all natural botanicals, nutrients, and essential oils. It's safe, easy to use, feels, and smells amazing. Land and Lore guarantees if your face doesn't both feel better and look better in 14 days, they'll give you a refund, no questions asked. The company is founded by Mark Haysbrook, who started and then sold Hayneedle.com to Mark Laurie. So a bit of a Timberwolves connection here as well. But the primary reason to try Land and Lore is because everyone loves it. There's no risk. And you get a 15% discount by using Dane MBA at checkout. I've personally started using both the shower kit and the face kit, and I love it. I've never really used skincare stuff before, but now that I've used Land and Lore, I'll never not use skincare. I just feel better. So check out landandlore.com today before they sell out. Again, that's Dane NBA, no spaces for 15% off at landandlore.com. That's L-A-N-D-L-O-R-E.com. Let's talk about today's sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. Recent studies show that men's testosterone levels are dropping substantially since the 1980s at about an average of 1% per year. If your father was 30 when you were born, your testosterone levels could be 30% lower than his are. Low testosterone can have all types of health effects on men. It can cause you to lose muscle mass in your body. It can affect your mood, your memory, and even your sex drive. Let's Get Checked is a worldwide leader in at-home testing kits, and their male hormone tests let you easily test your testosterone levels. These results are reviewed by a clinician 
Once your sample is in the lab, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. Let's Get Checked labs are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So if you want to test your hormone levels without having to leave your home, visit trylgc.com slash Dane and get 25% off your test using code Dane25. Or look for that link and promo code in the show notes of this episode. That's trylgc.com slash Dane and get 25% off your test using code Dane25. Yeah, I, I, kind of a curiosity I just have is like, how much is just the DLO shooting slump in and of itself causing problems in the DLO minutes, right? We're, we're pointing to things like, oh, Root, like the connection with Rudy or lack thereof, or or Cat or lack thereof, or even, you know, defensively, he doesn't look as good. What if we just magically would have in the first nine games injected his normal shooting, which isn't like astronomically high. You know, he's kind of more of right. that efficiency wise, middle of the pack shooter. You know, I, I, I just wonder if that is so like exaggerating these these problems in ways he is, you know, barely shooting 50 percent at the rim, 43 percent from the mid range. That's where he's comfortable. It's kind of where he's been at in the past and then only made 28 percent of his threes. So I just. I think if you're a Wolves, fan, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if they're. I, yeah, I don't know if they're exacerbating the problems or if they're a product of the problems. That mm-hmm. that's that's where I, I I tend to think it's more the latter. That mm-hmm. that he's he's trying to make things happen in some ways, and because he can be good in you know isolation moments and and hitting hitting big shots or, or you know just isolation three what what have you, mm-hmm. he's he's trying to make some things happen that maybe he wouldn't be if the offense was was rolling a little better. I I think, too, like an important piece of context is this is how last season started for him as well, too. He kind of had his like after I think that one Pelicans game, he's like, I forgot how to play basketball for for a night sort of thing. And and I think sometimes in the overprocessing that happens not to, to him, but, you know, but to other players as well. And I I think that is a through line of here, and it doesn't guarantee that the offense is going to magically rebound in the way it did last season. But I do think that's a good piece of context. And Dilo kind of talked about this overthinking and slump that he's in um, in the locker room after the game. I'll play that clip here quick. How did you deal with the recent shooting slump you were in, and how do you generally deal with that for you? Yeah, still trying to get out of it. Yeah, for sure. Every time, every time. Um, funny story. I mean, when I first got in the league. I was a part of Kobe's farewell tour, and he um, he wasn't shooting the ball well. And I didn't know like that that's something that he he's used to doing. And I went up to him and I told him, "Keep shooting, Kobe." He looked at me and laughed. Like, this is my last year. You don't think I'm gonna keep shooting? So um, I learned that from him. Just just keep going. It'll 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 make its way. So just keep playing right. I thought uh you know D'Lo kind of having. Well, by the way, like. But sorry, say that again. Yeah. I, I turned great the sound visual. off. It's a, it's a great visual of like Kobe Bryant going up to rookie D'Angelo Russell being like, <laughs> you, think, you think I'm going to stop shooting? Hell no. <laughs> right. I know. It was, yeah, which I think is actually, and I mean, I mean, some people will, will disagree with this and, you know, just the sort of general idea that maybe that type of just shooting, shooting point guard isn't what this team needs. But I think, that is what this team is still very much striving for, is letting D'Lo be a very important part of this offensive mix 
Finch is still going to leave him the room to get out of that shooting slump and, and to be taking, you know, a lot of those shots. So I think with D'Lo, you are going to see him, you know, stay activated, right, as a shooter and and try and shoot yeah. himself out of this, which, I mean, it's going to be better than what these numbers were or have been through the first nine games. The question kind of is, how much better are they? And then that difference of how much they're better, how much does that, you know, kind of compare against what J-Mac is bringing to the game too, which is more of that ball movement type of style, which has been, again, through the first nine games, really successful, significantly more successful than the D'Angelo minutes have been at the one. But I think it's a, I think it's a sign of where D'Lo's at in his head, and which is he's struggling a little bit from shooting it. He's overthinking. He said it at a different time as well. And, you know, they're going to kind of let him play through this sort of by hell or high water because they feel that it's necessary and kind of like a requirement of this team, you know, being who they're going to be or who they want to be. Yeah, it is. The the the, ter- the term I've always used with, with him is I feel like when D'Lo is playing well, it just, it, it raises the ceiling of the team. Totally. I, 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 you saw that in the playing game last year. Carl was a non-factor, right, in that game for most of it. And D'Lo saved them that night. Uh, he, when, when he is playing well, he can, he can really elevate where this team can go. Yeah, and, that's, and that's the whole point. That's the whole point of all of it. Mm-hmm. It's like when D'Lo's playing well, when you get Gobert activated, it's like it's all about the ceiling and not necessarily winning a Tuesday night game in Phoenix. You know, it's, it's totally. trying to figure these things out so that come April, you have the highest possible feeling on where this team can go and not just trying to play the bench to the end of a game to try and win a regular season game. Yeah, it's kind of like, so, right, we come, the Gobert trade happens and, and what's the narrative? They're going to be an awesome regular season team. We'll see about the playoffs, right? And what's, right. what's interesting to me through these, you know, the first, 10 I, I think i've been saying eight games or 10 games into the season you know is is this idea that i think chris finch is installing a style of play to play during the regular season that is something that is the style of play he believes will maximize his team in the playoffs and that's you know personified by trying to have rudy take advantage of smaller people in the post which teams might do against them in the playoffs it's the idea of giving D'Angelo Russell more leash because his ceiling is higher than Jordan McLaughlin's is. You know, it's it's all of these things of playing and establishing habits in a way that are, in theory, the best ways to play in the playoffs, even if that comes with some sort of sacrifices, uh, you know, during the season, maybe cost them a couple of regular season wins. It's an interesting, it's an interesting strategy to put forth if you're, if you are Finch, because it's going to come with some baggage, right? It's going to come with taking some of yep. these lumps, the lumps that they've already taken through the first 10 games and will probably continue to more. Though I do think you have to appreciate to some extent the logic behind that idea of pursuing a style that ultimately maximizes you. Now, people will be pushing back. Maybe that isn't, you know, that's not what I think will maximize it. It's not that's clearly look at the JMAC numbers, all this sort of stuff. But it is pretty clear it's what Chris Finch feels. Would you agree with that? 
I would agree with that too. I think I think and that's why they're so committed to to doing on both ends of the floor too. Yeah. And and that that applies to playing multiple defensive coverages and not just you know Good point. sticking with one, sticking with one thing as as we talked about. The the whole point is to try and get this ingrained now in November, uh, in December, so that you don't have to do it in March and April. Um, you know, as opposed to starting with something simple and then building on it later in the season. It's like, okay, try to build everything now, right. get those habits down so that as you go along in the mm-hmm. season, it just gets better from there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, I get it. Um, you know, we're, we're, we were talking about kind of how, how things look with just Carl out there. Um, and kind of maybe the opposite point of this is that I was looking up some of his, his lineup numbers uh, from last season and this one. And uh, who do you think were the two players that showed up in Carl's most efficient uh, two and three man lineup combinations, both last year and to start this season? Well, I got to guess Jordan McLaughlin, right? That Jordan McLaughlin was one of them, number one with a bullet. Yeah. Um, and the other one was Jalen Noel. Interesting. Um, that seemed to always kind of pop up in terms of Carl's highest net mm-hmm. ratings um, when it came to. Why do you think that is? Two and well, J Mac, I think is is. I think we're just beating a dead horse if we analyze that. It's it's, it's J Mac, right? He's the he's the net rating plus minus king of of this team. So I feel like he's going to pop up near the top of everybody's net rating. Uh, yeah, uh, Jalen Noel is the more interesting one. I, I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering why that is exactly. Maybe, maybe because I don't know more, more ability to drive. You know, keep, get the defense onto him creates more space for Carl. I think it kind moments, of ties to think? the idea that Jalen Noel and Ant are kind of facsimiles of each other because i was just gonna say that similar to ant yeah yeah and so there's again some of that familiarity there too but if you look at 
some of just the cat and ant numbers comparatively over the years. Um, th that has also been one of Cat's better two-man pairings, one of his better two-man pairings amongst the starters for sure. So, yeah, maybe sort of the idea of of something that statistically has helped Carl in the past is that pace moving point guard in J-Mac, but also just having minutes alongside a dynamic offensive two-guard in Ant or Noel. Um, and, and then just both of those players, you know, <laughs> at least thus far this season, are playing well. Like, Jalen Noel has played really yeah. well in probably 70% of the games. J-Mac probably, you know, 99 of the 10 games, something like that. I just do... This is my thing with, with J-Mac, and I asked Finch about this after the game. It's like... I mean, you know what it's been. We've asked, we've asked Finch about J-Mac 100 times over, over the years, and it's like, you know, what is J-Mac? Well, well we've, we've, we've asked... We've asked Finch about 50 times about J-Mac. Jace has asked him the other 50 yeah, times. You know, most, of that, most of that is just Jace. Yeah, that, that is true. <laughs> but the answer, right, is always, it's like, you know, he does the little things. He puts the pace into the game, this and that. And what what I'm thinking about a lot now is, because I, I, I have been of the mind of, like, you got to give the D-Lo thing. You got to give it more time. What sort of adjustments can you make um, structurally, whatever, because... I am kind of into the idea of the ceiling, but I don't want to like completely rule out this strong and backed up by stats idea that the Wolves are consistently better with J-Mac on the floor out there in those lineups than they have, again, statistically with D'Lo. So my question is, you know, what will I need to let go of this idea that it should be D'Angelo over J-Mac? You know, if... If we get another month into yeah. the season and it's kind of it's the same sort of place, Delo's kind of been in and out of shooting slump, and J Max numbers and impact have stayed all the same. And I'm like, you know, what? At what point do I need to see that? What more do I need to see from Jordan McLaughlin? And it's, but I think it's just tricky. Is it's like it almost doesn't feel like there's a lot more Jordan McLaughlin can reasonably be expected to do. You know, he's never going to be your like cross right. you up and hit pull up jumper sort of guy. So what, you know, what is the answer? And I asked Chris Finch about that uh, after the game on Saturday night. And here was, here was his answer. I thought it was good. Chris, over the years when we've, we've asked you about Jordan McLaughlin, it, it, it's kind of often the, you know, he, he's inserting the same things into the game that that pace doing the small things. Have you seen something uh, additional kind of grow in his game this year? Another area of the, of the game that's coming up? Uh, you know what's grown in his game is this just consistency, like you know, being able to do it and then being able to do it every time you put it on the floor. That's when like you become a player in this league. Um, and you know, whether it's a superstar who can do something at a highly repeatable level that can't be stopped, or whether it's a role player who you know exactly what you're going to get when you go in there every night, and, and that's what J J Mac has become. And you know, the the if the the effect it has on our team is is. You know, very, very contagious. So, um, you know, he's one of those guys who just digs the ball out of nothing and, you know, makes these plays when you need him to. And he's, you know, he's, you know one of our best multiple effort guys. And, um, you, know, you know, tonight I thought he was, was really, really good and, you know, driving again, getting multiple attacks in there and uh, putting pressure on the rim in a, in a multitude of ways. So, so, Chris, I mean, that one, that's high praise and I think makes a lot of sense with Jordan McLaughlin. Mm -hmm. Again, it just kind of runs you into this collision of like, well, what do you do? Do you give how do you give J-Mac more? Right. Do you have to do scale back D'Angelo? And I think that's important to like note that Finch kind of already has been doing that. Like D'Lo 
consistently gets these shorter stints of time in the rotation. You have short amounts of time. He's on the floor. Finch has gone a lot longer into the fourth quarter without bringing D'Angelo back. And I know a lot of Wolves fans are like, why would you take J-Mac out? You know, he's he's done that. But I just think that's important to acknowledge that Finch has already started making some tweaks that are rewarding that consistency for J-Mac with slightly more minutes and and quote-unquote punishing D'Lo a little bit too. But how consistent does it need to get or what would need to happen for J-Mac to usurp D'Lo? I don't know. I yeah. just still think that's a long ways, or is a ways away, is, is the sense I get. Whether or not it's what we think is I, right or fans think is right, but that's the sense I get from hearing Finch talk about it. I think, yeah, you're right. And I noticed that too. I think I think it was the Milwaukee game where I, I looked at this, the box where I was like, wow, J-Mac didn't play that many more minutes below D-Lo. Uh, and it was like, Maybe it was very close. I think they even played some together in that game, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, as well. There were some D'Lo and J-Mac minutes, which we've seen before. Um, That's one way me, to boost it more, right, too? Yeah, like we, yeah, we haven't absolutely. seen a ton of that. that we haven't, we haven't seen a ton of that, which we have seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And they do work. They have a track record of success uh, playing together. Um, so I'm, I'm interested if D'Lo – because D'Lo ends up missing – 10, 15 games a year, right? Yep. So when is that week going to come where D'Lo's got like a sore ankle or something like that and J-Mac has to start at point guard for, let's say, four or five games, right? I want to I see what that looks like. I want to see J-Mac being the starting point guard against better competition and playing more against other teams' best lineups as opposed to mixing in with their benches. That, that to me, would, would be proof of, or at least a little bit of evidence, that maybe, okay, maybe this is more of a, of a Jordan McLaughlin thing and, and could go in that direction, as opposed to D'Lo. Because I, I would want to see J-Mac do it consistently against the number one lineups of, of right. different teams. I, I haven't gone back and, like, researched J-Mac has he gone up against, you know, teams number one lineups often? Has it been more against their bench units? But, you know, I, I imagine J Mac, I don't know how much he played against like, you know, Drew Holiday the other night, for instance. Good like, point. Can he can he do that against the guard like that? Mm-hmm. Or not that Drew would be guarding him, but maybe he would. Who knows? It is interesting though, it's one of those things where yeah, let's say like Dilo does happen to miss like four straight kind of like the root if the Rudy situation that's going on right, right now this a short stint of time that he has to be out mm-hmm. it's like I, I don't know it kind of goes both ways where it's like man well if, if J-Max started and they won all four of those games he's playing 30 minutes a night it's like is that enough to be a proof and I think a lot of people know. say like yes 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 but what if it's again just if it's just four games and J-Max starts and it's like pretty middling or it's it's almost kind of disappointing does that in and out of its, in and of itself rule out the idea that he wouldn't be a better option? It's like we're not necessarily also maybe not yeah. yeah yeah we're not like going these decisions yeah. by the coaches and the front office and whatever need to be you know made with context and with sort of like theories of ideas of how things work and I think just the baseline theory that they're holding on to is what we talked about before they believe ultimately the ceiling is highest with D'Angelo being engaged, being a big part of this, and J-Mac being a strong tertiary part of it. 
I I like I I think even if they won like right now, if Dilo missed the next four games, JMX started, they won all four, whatever, I still think they would go back to Dilo based on that idea. And I know a lot of people would disagree with that. And if that happened, there'd be Wolves fans pounding the table. But I'm just saying that's not like my opinion or anything. That's just the sense I get from the organization and how they want to sort of pursue this right forward. They're not they're not gonna knee jerk react to Mm-hmm. anything based on, uh, based off of this huge investment that they made mm-hmm. after a week's worth of games if exactly. something goes awry. I yeah, I don't I don't sense that that would be if there was going to be some sort of shakeup to the starting lineup, I, it wouldn't be Jordan McLaughlin for D'Angelo Russell. I feel like it would be Kyle Anderson for Jaden McDaniels. There that you go. Good transition. That... Good transition in the outline. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I try to do. As a writer, you try to come up yeah. with good segues between things. Um, so, I, yeah, that would be the, the the one thing that I think I could foresee happening in the starting lineup. In Again, the, in because the... we have little anecdotes yeah. of evidence of that, right? Like right. Finch benched Jaden McDaniels in the Milwaukee game for the second half. And in yeah. favor of playing Kyle Anderson, also a little bit more Nas Reed minutes to kind of at the, you know, for a little bit more Torian Prince. But Again, if we had to guess right now if a starting lineup change would happen, I think you can point to the idea that Finch is quicker with McDaniels to shrink that down or punish for whatever reason that might be. That could just be more belief in Kyle Anderson than he has in Jordan McLaughlin comparatively, you know, in those those two position by position battles. But we did see that this weekend. I think that's like an important illustration of a greater belief in Kyle Anderson. He played 31 minutes against the Rockets, 16 points, six assists, three boards, six of seven shooting. Like, I just, outside of all that, too, I think it was another indication that Kyle Anderson is the sixth man of this team, too. Like, in their vision, once he's healthy and playing, um, I'm with you. The idea, if a starting lineup change would happen, it's kind of like last year. That's what they did with, they brought Pat Bev in for Jaden McDaniels into the starting lineup. If we get to a point, or if they get to a point in their head where they go, a change has to happen, I'm with you. I think it would be Kyle Anderson. But irrelevant of that, he's playing a big role is my point. What uh, what stood out to you about you know Kyle Anderson from this weekend? This is kind of the first time we got to see him doing those yeah. little Kyle Anderson things. He actually boxes out is what I, <laughs> is what I noticed. There he actually go. turns. He actually looks to locate a man, and he tries to box out that man, yeah. which is – what this team doesn't do like I was and I think Jim Pete watching back the game on Saturday Jim Pete also made the same point it's like look look at Kyle Anderson uh you know look look, locate trying to locate a guy and box him out like that right there puts him as as maybe the the second or third best rebounder on this team (laughs) because he's actually looking to box people out so I appreciated that um as as somebody who used to do that in in my (laughs) <laughs> my very limited skill set back when I used to play basketball. Um, it is the little things, I, I, right? Though it's like it's like a little, right, exactly. Things. Yeah, it, it, it's the little things. And you know, I think we were all kind of struck by that that sequence. I think maybe in the second quarter when he seemed to be playing the five on right. defense and then running the point on offense. <laughs> and and who who does that? You know, like right. who's 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 able to do that? Jokic, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> That's Kyle the Anderson, the, the Nikola Jokic of, of the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
They're about the same speed. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So his versatility just just stands out in terms of okay, we're slotting him at the five on one end of the floor. He's running the point on the other end. He shift to the four, shift to the three, whatever whatever you need him to play, mm-hmm. he'll play. And yeah, with Swiss Army knife, they can employ. He's not going to make two of three threes consistently like he did in right. in Saturday's game. But what he will do consistently are those little things and. Spe- and specifically, those little things I think are going to be particularly valuable early in the season on the defensive end. They like there's just so many loose screws defensively right now. And Anderson, like, at least has an awareness of where all those screws are. He's kind of doing the thing where he's like trying to screw one screw with his right hand and left hand, like stretched out across <laughs> the way, like literally, yeah. um, you know, playing in the gaps and, and doing all those sort of things. Again, a lot of people, and we, we talked about this all last week, is, you know, you look at the Wolves look like a top 10 defense, bottom 10 offense. And in both of them, like, I think we have these reasons to believe the offense can and will be better and also reason to be a little bit concerned about the defense. I think Kyle Anderson, in many ways, is a defensive concern, like, muter. Um, he He has... He's one of the guys yeah. on this team that I feel really uh, confident in the, the, the his ability to play in multiple different concepts uh, defensively. No matter what it is, he seems to know it, get it, um, even without being fleet of foot, reactive enough to get to the spots that he needs to get to. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's really important to Chris Finch. It's what he said since training camp is like, ultimately, defensively, the season is going to be determined by our ability to be able to toggle through different coverages and different ways to play defense. I think he believes in Kyle Anderson's ability to do that on this team more than anyone else, actually. And, and I think that just, I, I think it, yeah. go will go a long way in, in his minutes that he plays and the consistency of the role that I think we both think he'll have this year. And it kind of goes to what they have said about Kyle when, you know, over the summer and then preseason, which was they were targeting him and he signed before they got Gobert. Like he was already a part of their essential plans moving mm-hmm. forward, whether or not they ended up getting Gobert. Um, so they, identi- they identified him as this, I think exactly right, as this person that can be versatile, play different positions, play different coverages and do it well, be somebody who can help connect the defense. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't always happen. Be a communicator out there. I, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious to see um, more of if there are any times that they are going to go. Okay, let's try to be a, a super defensive shutdown team where he and Gobert are on the floor at the same time. True. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see if there's some some mixture of that in in the future as as he gets more acclimated and more minutes here, um, and once Rudy gets back, obviously. So. I'm curious. I'm very curious to see how they how they choose to deploy him and who they choose to deploy him with when everybody's at full strength here. Yeah, I, I mean, there's again been so much talk about you know missing Pat Bev and Vando and what they kind of brought, and that this team doesn't seem to have from a leadership, execution standpoint, energy, all those sort of things. Um, I think I undersold going into the season how much they would miss that. Um, so I'm looking for it a little bit more. And I am 
thinking that Kyle Anderson and Torian Prince are both going to be able to bring some of that juice, right? And in their own way, they aren't personalities or styles of play exactly similar to Pat Bev and Vando. But if that sort of craving for those role player, that role player energy and execution is answered on this team, I think it is going to, people are going to come to the acknowledgement that it is Kyle Anderson and Torian Prince will do that, which that feels like a super important, again, something I undersold, something super important um, for this I th- season. I think this, I think this team needs that. Yep. They need those kind of voices. Um, I don't think Kyle Anderson is going to be, and he's talked about this, he is not kind of the rah-rah type of, of leader. He, mm. he, he's spoken about this uh, earlier this season. Um, he's more of just a, you know, quote unquote, lead by example guy, right. which is what people say when they're not a vocal leader. <laughs> totally. um, I think Torian Prince is taking that that mantra. I, I see I see one time a game where Torian Prince gets kicked off a cat. It happens once a game. Yeah. And he's like he's like talking to cat about something. He's got like this look on his face like, what are you doing? Right. You know, that happened that happens like once a game anymore. Um so I think he's taking over the role of trying to hold people accountable, hold people's feet to the fire. Holding right. Uh, it, it's it's holding yeah. the people who are struggling in those that toggling of coverage is exactly what we're talking about. And yeah. Carl Carl has the most to do there. So I don't think I don't think it's necessarily this massive indictment of Carl. It's just like Carl, Correct. we talked about this. Like Rudy's off, you're doing this. Carl, Rudy's on, you're doing this. And like Prince yeah. is not Just like blasting him. him, but he is, yeah. you know, it, it is animatedly yeah. saying that. He's done it, done it to other players as well. But I think that's Torian Prince yeah. understanding, like, hey, we don't do these things. Like, this isn't going to work. We need to like switch, turn the switches on and off and mm-hmm. not have there be this lapse because there through 10 games, there has been. It's like Rudy's out, first three possessions. It's normally like they get picked apart. I think Prince realizes that two, three, four, five point difference right there in in those minutes over the course of a game, night in and night out, is going to cost his team wins and losses. And he's like exercising that like the the clout he has to be like, we right. can't do this. Yeah. We can't do this. Carl or yeah. or whoever it might be. I think him and Anderson in their own ways are super going to be super important in that. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And and Nas and J Mac spoke to yeah. And be kind of the leader in the film room last week, mm-hmm. and that was that was a bit J Max term for him. That he is he's a guy who speaks up a lot in film sessions and mm-hmm. probably does similar to what he's doing on the court, which is like you need to be here in this in this certain moment, and you know let's figure it out and let's let's get let's get in the right spot at the very least. Right. Just so, just a reminder that if we don't do this, we're not going to win, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and that is a behavior of a guy that behavior of a guy who when they recognize they've, they've been on good teams before that have done those those sort of things chris yep. i know you got to get over to shoot around thanks for uh thanks for doing this yep. this morning we'll be uh we'll be back next monday to talk again i will be with jace frederick on uh on wednesday morning to talk about what happens in the next game tonight chris i'll see you in a few hours at the game we're gonna have a good day yep see you dan all right man he is chris you can follow him on twitter at christopher hein i'm dane at dane moore mba until wednesday peace out how i'm feeling man i hope it never stop yeah green it hard so you can find me in the crowd yeah yeah don't let standards ever ever bring you down yeah hope you dancing like nobody else around yeah